0: Welcome to Mass Ave. We are here bringing new you conservative news, policy, and insight from the steps of Capitol Hill. I'm your host, Emily Vanderbush.
1: And I'm Tommy Binion.
0: Today we have an interesting show lined up. We're talking about Russia. Um, we're going to be looking at the Russian propaganda involved in the 2016 election. We have Dr. Lee Edwards joining us to give us some of the history of that. And also Rob Bluey, uh Daily Signal editor-in-chief, to weigh in on some of the steps that these tech companies can make that were involved really interesting show
1: fear not we are not doing the mainstream media thing where we talk about russia as if it's the reason the election result was what it was we're going to we're going to counteract that narrative Mm -hmm. a little bit we're going to provide a little bit of truth to be to be a counterweight and we're going to take a look with dr edwards at the history of of russian involvement um this isn't a perspective you're getting on any of your other media channels. So stay tuned. That's going to be really interesting.
0: Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Really excited for y'all to hear that interview.
1: Also, Dr. Edwards has a new book out.
0: Yes. Just right.
1: A Life in Pursuit of Liberty.
0: Yes. It is a fascinating book. Um, I have just gotten a copy reading through it. Um, He's had a a very interesting life, which I'm sure you'll be able to tell from the interview today as well. He, He just has a story for just about everything.
1: Very, very interesting interview, very interesting book. pick it up um, and give it a read if you're interested in the history of the conservative movement. Uh, Dr. Edwards has written a lot on the history of the conservative movement um, and you can find uh, you can find that in any of his 25 books, but this most recent one is is comprehensive in that. Let's let's talk a little news of the day.
0: Russia, Russia, Russia.
1: Well, there is going to be uh, a little bit of a Twitter, Facebook, Google, yeah. three um, three hearings in three different committees on the Hill for their executives this week. Uh, again, that's just in furtherance of the narrative that um, the, uh, um, the Russians did it. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of the election. But, uh, you know, I, I, Rob's going to talk about um, how an overreaction from the government uh, might be a really bad thing uh, that we may not uh, want. Even if, even if there were a few ads on Facebook and Twitter um, that influenced the election, although it's certainly not the election result, um, we wouldn't want to uh, react by regulating uh, and breaking the internet. Yeah.
0: Um, what else is going on in the news? Tax reform. Yeah.
1: Taxes, taxes, taxes. Always taxes. Um, on Wednesday... The Republican Ways and Means Committee bill will be released. All of the details that I'm sure you're all salivating over, agonizing over. What will happen with the state and local tax deduction? What will happen with the tax brackets? Will there be a fourth bracket added? Uh, Some of those final details. uh, uh, Which loopholes exactly are we eliminating? All of those details will be released in bill text form on Wednesday. It's a major step. So the schedule then would, would, uh, would, would be... Bill text this week, a committee markup next week, and action on the House floor the following week. Uh, Then you've you've got Thanksgiving and then action Mm -hmm. in the Senate. uh, And then um, enactment before Christmas, as the president said, um, a great Christmas present for the American people. It certainly would be. Um, It's an anti-swamp bill, right? We're going to close loopholes. Uh, And so what's going to happen later this week is there's going to be some interest groups who are losing their loopholes, Uh, maybe some industries who are losing their special tax breaks, and they're going to whine and cry and scream and say, this bill hurts me in the following way. And I just want to encourage you listeners, when you hear that, you think that's just a swamp crocodile talking. Uh, When we close loopholes, we make the tax base bigger, and we're able to lower rates for you and me. That's what this bill does. And so whoever's crying and screaming come Thursday... That's, that is just a swamp creature crying as the water and mud is drained from the swamp.
0: Yeah, and as you all might remember, Adam Michelle joined us last week and was really able to break down the positive impact that tax reform will have on the American people. So we'll keep plugging that kind of research as we move forward in this debate.
1: What's good for the American people is bad for the swamp creatures.
0: Exactly. And now, a word from our fellow podcasters over at SCOTUS 101, Tiffany Bates and Elizabeth Slattery. Hi, I'm Tiffany Bates. And I'm Elizabeth Slattery. If you like listening to Mass Ave, we encourage you to check out our Heritage Foundation podcast called SCOTUS 101. On SCOTUS 101, we break down what's going on at the Supreme Court, what the justices are up to, and other things related to our favorite branch of government. We also play trivia. Check out SCOTUS 101 on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts today. And joining us today, we have Dr. Lee Edwards here to talk about um, the history of Russian propaganda, talking about the conservative movement. Dr. Edwards is a distinguished excuse me, a distinguished fellow in conservative thought in the B. Kenneth Simon Center for Principles and Politics. And also the author or editor of 25 books. His latest memoir, as we previously plugged earlier, is called Just Right. Be sure to check that out. We also have Rob Bluey joining us. Uh, He is the editor-in-chief of The Daily Signal. One of his big claim to fame is he met with uh, folks at Facebook last year when there were um, accusations that they had been biased against conservatives. So um, really interesting to hear his perspective on uh, the current Russian Facebook ad um, and some of the steps that Facebook should take in that. So thank you both for joining us today.
1: Welcome, Rob and and Dr. Edwards. It is great to have you both on Mass Ave. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this interview today. We're going to be talking Russian propaganda. We're going to be talking Russian collusion. I'm not sure if that word was used until this election cycle, but it's certainly um, interesting. There's a lot going on on the Hill, Rob. You're you're covering um, that for us. But let's let's jump in, um, Dr. Edwards. You've written a book about Russian propaganda. Clear back two or three decades ago. Can you tell us about that?
2: Well, one of my f- friends and colleagues many, many years ago was Brian Crozier over in, in England. And he was the one who first told me that, yes, the Russians and the Soviets at that time, of course, are very, very good at providing misinformation and disinformation, which is what it was called in those days. And one of their favorite outlets was to go to a leftist newspaper in Greece and to say they have the most outrageous things, such as that the CIA was responsible for AIDS in Africa and things of that nature. And they, There were these leftist groups, these leftist publications that were willing to cooperate with Moscow to provide misinformation, disinformation, and of course what we call today fake news. So this has been a long-standing. as a matter of fact, you can go back to Lenin. Uh, who talked about the the role of a journalist is not to report the truth, but to engage in what he called agitation and propaganda. And that was all the way back in 1905, 1910. So this is something they've been doing for, what, more than a century. We shouldn't be terribly surprised that they're doing it in the year 2016.
1: And yet um, the news coverage here in 2017 has been dominated by the Russian collusion scandal. And we don't know at this point whether or not the media is alleging that the Russians colluded with the Republicans or the Democrats. Uh, it, it seems to change by day. It's it's hard enough just to wrap your mind around what the media is saying the Russians did in 2016 and, and who was involved and who's to blame for that, much less going back a 100 or more years. Um, so we've got, multiple investigations going on at this point. Um, Do you think we're at the bottom of it? Do you think we'll get to the bottom of it?
2: We'll never get to the bottom of it, (laughs) Uh, as far as I can tell, because it's in the best interests of the news media and of the people doing the investigating to keep it going, to keep it going, as we know. Uh, And I speak now as somebody – I was a reporter once a long time ago – And my father was a journalist here in Washington, D.C. for 50 years. And what the news media want is an unending story in which there's a beginning, a middle, and never an end. And they can just keep reporting on it day after day, year after year, for that matter. And some of them still are talking about some of these issues. And so I don't think we're going to see the end of it. Uh, I would be surprised. Uh, And I think that we'll keep widening. Uh, I think that it will, frankly, it will involve the Democrats because there is so much coming out right now that we know it isn't strictly limited to the Republican side. So I think we're going to be seeing uh, the Democrats getting involved in it as well. So your your
1: perspective on... Russian involvement, Russian propaganda, misinformation and disinformation is much broader than any of us had. Like I said, I, I can't even follow this year's version of the story. It, it, it has too many twists and turns for me. I need a, a, a simple beginning, middle and end. But, but your perspective is much broader and goes back decades. Given that perspective, who is involved um, and why are they linked to the Russians?
2: Well, I think it's in the interests. I mean, after we're talking about Mr. Putin, we have to realize, for example, that he lived his first 40 years under the Soviet Union uh, and under, Mao, under Stalinist, Leninist uh, ideas, and then spent a good decade or more being trained by the KGB. So he's doing what comes naturally. <laughs> he's doing what comes naturally to a former KGB agent which is to engage in agitation and propaganda, to be a good Leninist. And so an opportunity presents itself, and of course Mr. Putin straining with all of his might to make Russia a great power once again. If he can bring down the United States, that raises up Russia, and that's to his advantage as well to stay in office and to have political power in Russia.
0: And looking now to some of the um, ways that Putin has leverage this kind of divisiveness. Um, looking to Facebook, you know, there were reports that they took out Facebook ads. Rob, looking to you, what are some of the answers to this kind of intervention? Did some members of Congress are calling for laws to regulate this? What would you say is the solution?
3: There, there is actually a proposed legislation which has both Republican and Democrats uh, sponsoring it And this week, Facebook, Google and Twitter will all be called before Congress, three separate hearings for for those uh, technology and social media companies to uh, face a grilling. And, you know, as somebody who went to Facebook last year at a time when Facebook was also under fire from conservatives, uh, there wasn't a government solution then and there isn't one now uh it's i think a bad practice on the part of of congress to get involved and try to regulate political speech and that's uh, as lee was saying journalists want to keep this story going and i think the politicians do as well because they want to advance a certain agenda that they want to get at and they see an opening here
1: this is this is so congress this is a classic example of i'm from the government and i'm here to help right there's a perceived problem um Russian entities took out ads on social media that were aimed at the 2016 election, and now we've got a week's worth of three hearings with the executives from Facebook and Twitter, and Google, sort of coming before Congress to, uh, in the you know in the story to to answer for this. Um, but you said in you know that when we had a similar problem with Facebook, we didn't go to the government looking for help. Uh, Is that talk about that conservative ethos a little bit more
3: and Tommy I think that the situation is the we believe in the market the free market and so in that case um, it was the pressure that conservatives apply this was last year when Facebook was accused of having a bias against conservatives by suppressing some of the content. And conservatives banded together, they raised awareness of this, and Facebook changed some of the ways that it it was doing its business. Already, even before we've had these hearings, Facebook has already taken steps to increase transparency on its own without any government uh, agency or Congress getting involved. Twitter's done something similar. They've cut off ties with RT and Sputnik, uh, two Russian-funded news organizations, and they've said that they're going to donate – the money. Now, I think the other thing that you continue to hear about is how these ads somehow swayed the election. Well, even Mark Penn, who's the Clinton's longtime pollster, has said that there's no way that a hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads would have changed the outcome of this election. So let's be real here. Um, I think you're absolutely right. Congress is is searching for some sort of solution. uh, And frankly, um, it's just going to be a show that they put on this week.
1: Yeah, I, I think it will be a show, but I, I, you know, to your point that the market will take care of some of these things. It, it will take care of it in a way better way than the government will. What we're talking about is regulating uh, the internet from a global perspective. Um, I, I have no confidence <laughs> that Congress can jump in there and not completely break the internet and uh, and break um, the the free speech that exists there. And uh, and not do it in such a ham-handed way. Uh, Facebook and Twitter and Google—they'll respond to the market pressures and um, take action that's necessary, that's that's good for them, that's good for their shareholders, that's good for their customers. Uh, the government may force them to take action with a lot of unforeseen consequences
3: if they get involved here. That's right, and I think the uh, I think the other thing to remember here is that some of these social media companies have really helped. Uh, democratize information, if you will. They've given, uh, they, they've certainly allowed more Americans to have a voice in the political process. Uh, anybody can sign up for a Twitter account or build a strong following on Facebook and start to maybe persuade and convince people to their political um, ideas. Look at the president himself. I mean, he often turns to Twitter as the way to get his message out because he knows uh, the news media is not going to to be uh, doing it in a way that he... F- finds favorable. So uh, in many ways, these social media companies are challenging the establishment, and the establishment doesn't like that.
2: Yeah, just to join in there, and I would say, looking back, for example, to the 1960 election, the very narrow close one between Nixon and Kennedy, and there are other examples that you could measure, but that the media were really controlled by the three networks, by the Associated Press, by a handful of newspapers, and they really controlled it. And if you were a private citizen out there looking to see what was really going on, you would have to depend upon these basically left of center uh, uh, publications and news media organizations. I know about this from a personal experience, not my own, but my father's who covered that election for the Chicago Tribune. And out of the 75 reporters who pretty much went the whole way, either with Nixon or or with Kennedy, there were three reporters who were more or less sympathetic to Nixon. And at that first debate, uh, they couldn't find room in the actual room uh, to put the reporters there. They put them in a room next door and watching the debate on television. My father was among them. And this gave them an opportunity to really express themselves, shall we say. And so whenever Kennedy scored a point, This applause from the reporters as they were taking notes. And at one time, after Kennedy had made a particularly good point against Mr. Nixon, a reporter, I won't mention his name, leaped to his feet and said, give it to him, Jack, and then sat down. I mean, this was the kind of prejudice which was in the mass media, which was so tightly controlled at that time. My father wrote an article about it, Is the Press Prejudiced?, the Chicago Tribune, a conservative paper, his paper said, "No, we won't publish it." Dad said, "Why?" And they said, "We don't wash our dirty linen in public."
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly saw the 2016 version of that exact same story on election night, right? You you could see the disappointment in uh, the anchors' faces when the new when it was becoming clear that uh, Donald Trump was going to be President Trump, um, but. It was that night where this narrative started, uh, where, I don't know if it was that night or, or, or the next week when Hillary Clinton sort of said it was the Russians. Um, you know, that, that that is part of the narrative. Um, and as we all know, the narrative that the media spins is so important in terms of the public's understanding of this. And if this Russian story continues with no end, as you pointed out, Dr. Edwards, the conclusion that some in the public will draw is yeah, I'm not happy with this election election result. And the media keeps giving me this garbage about how it was the Russians. And you know early on, it was the Russians stole the election. Um, you know as if the conclusion you were to draw was they just manipulated the vote counting. Uh, and now we find out it's, you know they they found evidence of a hundred thousand dollars in in Facebook ads. And so it's it's really um, an effort to feed this narrative that, uh, president trump's election wasn't real but i just want to make another point on that there is a true narrative which is that president trump had a message that appealed to voters in states where the democrats had prevailed in recent elections that appealed to voters in pennsylvania and wisconsin uh, and ohio and uh, and it was that message is the difference between he and hillary clinton not this this russian business i want to get both of your comments on that
3: well, I, 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 agree. I certainly agree that it was uh, Trump's message. And and by the way, Tommy, I should have clarified, and, and you brought up the $100,000 in ads as well. Th- those were not uh, ads just supporting Donald Trump. In fact, a lot of them didn't even mention Trump or Clinton. They were on divisive social issues that were taking place in our country at the time. So, yes... Um, you're absolutely correct. I think that's one of the reasons why the president seems so frustrated about this, why, again, this weekend he took to Twitter uh, to point out things where he felt that there was a lack of reporting from the news media, whether it was the Uranium One scandal that that, that uh, Hillary and Bill are involved in, or some of the collusion that he thinks is taking place on, on the other side. But at the end of the day, you're right, it was the issues that really... I think, captivated um, America's attention, Americans' attention last year in places that Democrats traditionally won. And I think there's a certain level of frustration now that they weren't able to get things like Obamacare repeal done. They see the roadblocks that are being thrown up um, to tax reform now, and we'll have to see how uh, ultimately that plays out. But I think that they're, they're desperate. They, uh, they certainly grasp what, what uh, President Trump is trying to do, when he says, to make America great again.
2: I like to remind my audiences when I'm talking to them about various things, including my book, Just Right. That, um, <laughs> new book, brand new. <laughs> today's the pub date, as a matter of fact, that there are 60, I believe it was 61 million people voted. I mean, we keep talking about, and it's true, we should, about the Democrats in, in uh, Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and so forth who voted for Mr. Trump. But the total number was 61 million. And don't they deserve to have a voice? And fortunately, they do have one. And I keep thinking about, of course, Mr. Mr. Trump, the president, does go too far. And people can get frustrated with that. They can get irritated with it and so forth. But just think where we would be today if we didn't have something like Twitter. If we were back in those days, all those years ago... When we had to depend upon, imagine, if you will, that there are only three different variations of MSNBC that to which you can go for your news and information. So we're a heck of a lot better off, I agree with Rob, in terms of the social media and the kind of information it can provide and the side of competition which it can provide with regard to news and information.
1: So, lesson being: read your book just right, and read thedailysignal. dot com.
2: Almost. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your book. It's it's your memoir, is it not? Yes, it is, and it's a little uh, it's a little bit difficult to to write such a book because you're trying to figure out what to what to include, what not to include, without you know bragging about yourself. But I took my lead from Winston Churchill, who once remarked, "I know what history is going to say about me." because I'm going to write it. Well, taking that as my uh, inspiration, I said to myself, I know what history is going to say about the conservative movement because I'm writing it. And that's why I've written some 25 books so far, still writing, uh, on what's, what's happening on the right. And, and I think if you look at the last 50 years, which I do, in this book, Just Right!, you can see that we prevailed again and again when we were counted out um, after Barry Goldwater's loss in 1964, landslide, after Reagan's failure in, 17, in, in 1976 to get the nomination, after the heights that were scaled by Newt Gingrich in 1994 and within a year he was being dismissed as the Grinch that stole Christmas, or even when how depressed people were uh, when Mr. Obama was elected and reelected. But each time we came back, uh, and I think the reason why we did is because of our ideas, the power of our ideas, whether it happens to be limited government, whether it happens to be those traditional American values based upon our Judeo-Christian heritage, the idea of peace through strength. And these are ideas which are founded not only on the founding some 240 years ago, on Western civilization. And if you ask a liberal, okay, what are your basic ideas? He starts hemming and hawing and reaching around and has a very difficult time in coming up with it. So what I've tried to do in this memoir is to look at some of the people I've worked with, like Ronald Reagan, Barry Goldwater, Bill Buckley, and to try to provide insights into them, uh, hopefully with lessons for particularly the rising generation. The younger Americans.
0: All right. Well, y'all should check out Dr. Edwards' book out today called "Just Right." Uh, Dr. Edwards, Rob, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, th- thank you. Thanks a lot, Dr. Edwards. You know, uh, the the media uh, would ask us to look at just a slice of the history of the conservative movement. Maybe even sometimes just what happened last week or last month or or make it all about President Trump or all about the Freedom Caucus versus Speaker Boehner or something. And and your work is so important to show people that this is a credible intellectual movement uh, with real successes, real victories, rooted in ideas. uh, And it's something that um, has contributed to the success of this country. And I'm really glad that you're there to chronicle it and you were a part of it. Um, So it's been an honor to have you here on the podcast. Well, continuing our newer tradition of taking a uh, question from listeners, we've got Jenny Multibano with an Ask the Expert question ready to go. Thanks for being here, Jenny.
4: Hi, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're here today with David and Sarah. Uh, he's a policy analyst here at Heritage, and he specializes in homeland security and cybersecurity policy. Uh, David, we got an interesting question about hospitality visas. Why don't we use them? And what is the reason for that could you address this the idea of the hospitality visa and what you would recommend instead
5: sure so uh, first trying to drill down to what is a hospitality visa there are there isn't a, a, a defined hospitality visa but there are industries that we would define as hospitality think restaurants or or hotels um, and that these industries um, sometimes uh, currently can get temporary workers guest worker programs and um, For for jobs, especially during seasonal, you know, high seasonal loads, and they can bring an immigrant in a non a guest worker into work, um, and these could be things like the H two B visa or or several others, and so um, that would fit into what we would call a, a hospitality visa. And basically, the law currently says you know these are how many visas. That the H-2B visa gets every year, and so companies come forward and they can get these visas. But the the number and how those visas are allocated are pretty much defined by law.
4: Okay. And on that note, our listener also asked, could this be done by executive order, or would you prefer it done by Congress and the legislative branch?
5: Yes, yeah, so I would say this is something where this has to be done. I think okay. through the legislative branch. There's no executive order to change what Congress has already passed into law, saying that these this is the visa program X, Y, or Z, and this is how you get those visas, and this is how many visas are given up, uh, are, are for that purpose. Um, and like I said, I think the reason why you have the program um, is ultimately that there are, like I said, seasonal work jobs, think the summers at the beach. You need more workers at the summer at the beach than you do during the winters at the beach. Um, these companies all actually have to post these jobs they have to advertise these jobs ahead of time um and they're not filled by americans and thus they go get a temporary worker to fill that need during these peak load seasons and that's why we we have these
1: visas in place
4: okay david thank you so much we always appreciate questions from our listeners thanks again
1: well thanks for listening in uh to mass we're we're happy to be with you every week we're happy to bring with you conservative perspective from inside the heritage foundation uh just steps from capitol hill uh If you like what you hear, please subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe to SCOTUS 101. Just subscribe to our whole network of podcasts, which you can find on Stitcher or iTunes. Uh, Once again, we're called Mass Avenue. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, Also, happy Halloween. and, And please, especially on Halloween, drive safe.
4: Thanks for listening to Mass Ave Podcast and remember to subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher and iTunes to keep up with the latest in conservative insight from the steps of Capitol Hill.